0: welcome back all y'all podcast listeners i'm chris
1: and i'm sarah
0: and uh we are going to be bringing you the story today of uh pamela raintree who was one of our very first storytellers
1: yeah our first live event um which was new around here and uh just a side note we have another uh live event coming up on saturday september 13th that's this saturday um, at 7.30 at Marjorie Lyons Playhouse and the campus of Centenary College, thank you so much to Centenary and the theater department there for letting us use their space.
0: Um, all of the proceeds from Saturday night's live show are going to benefit the Council on Alcoholism and Drug Abuse of Northwest Louisiana, so please buy tickets. Encourage your friends to buy tickets. At the end of the night, we're going to make a big donation together, we hope, to CADA because they need it for the wonderful work that they do.
1: I'm really excited to share Pam's story because whenever we started um, thinking about stories for the podcast, she was one of the first people we put down on our list. Um, Pam has committed several amazing acts of activism in our community, um, several which are linked to um, from this entry on our blog. And I hope you check them out. And um, this is Pam's story about becoming who she is and coming to Shreveport for the first time. So Pamela Raintree is a Mississippi Gulf Coast transplant. She's a writer, artist, and activist who was just passing through Shreveport and got caught here in an ice storm back in 1996. <laughs> um, and her story is about how her home is a coincidence. Everyone, Pamela Raintree, I'm so excited that she could join us. <laughs> Do you want to sit? sit?
0: I feel like I know most of you. Uh, I'm sure a lot of y'all know me from my poetry for from painting that mural on a fence and getting everybody in Highland upset South <laughs> Highland, South Highland. Highland loves you. I'm not a native <laughs> my home's a coincidence um, and uh, you know, this this is kind of awkward for me. I'm used to telling my story in classrooms and churches and whatnot, but the last time I did something in ten minutes or less, the other person thought it was a date. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I'll I'll try. Um, I heard of Shreveport when I was growing up. Um, every weekend, my dad insisted on listening to this thing called the Louisiana Hayride. Um, that's all I knew about Shreveport. I'm, you know, southeast corner of Mississippi. What's this place at the northwest corner of Louisiana? I thought it was all Cajuns up here. It wasn't. Um... (laughs) Anyway, uh, 1993, I was going through a divorce. I uh, had left my spouse at my spouse's request and (laughs) moved in with a roommate who borrowed my car. We were uh, working together, and so my new roommate borrowed my car, and... Apparently, she rented it out to her crack dealer, and he totaled it. So, um, when I came through Shreveport in 93, looking for another place to live, um, I was on a Greyhound bus. There was a layover here in Shreveport, and... Well, the the girl who was calling the arrivals and departures was on the telephone with her boyfriend when my bus departed, so I wound up spending the night here, uh, and I wandered around town wondering, you know, what the place was really like since all I'd ever heard of it was the country music on the radio show that no longer exists, and I I saw a transgender person digging through a trash can looking for food and I told myself that if there was any place on this planet I would never live, it would be Shreveport, Louisiana. (laughs) Well, three years later. Um, I had gone to Mississippi. It didn't work out. I had a stroke and wound up going back to my ex-spouse and slept on a couch until I recovered. And I got myself a little car and decided I was going to go live in the mountains in West Texas. (laughs) And it was beautiful out there, let me tell you. Uh, I took that little car. It was a 19... I don't know. Uh, it was a Nissan station wagon. It was old. And Datsun, excuse me. Uh, uh, and I literally shook it up to pieces riding around the mountains. And people told me, you can't drive a car like that up there. And how was I supposed to? And, uh, I mean, I was driving under A car that was wrecked to get up to this property I was looking at buying, but it turned out all the raw water out there is radioactive, Uh, and it's it's a desert anyway, so there's not much of it. I decided that wasn't a good place for me, and I didn't know where I was going. Uh, I had a general concept of maybe go to Alabama. Um, I'm a sign painter by trade, and I knew that I could make a whole lot of money when they are getting the uh, shrimp fleet ready um, in the early spring. So I said, okay, I'll go there, I'll make a whole bunch of money really fast, but I've got this car that, I'm not lying, it wouldn't drive over 50 miles an hour on a flat. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. They just changed all the speed limits in Texas to 70, and I couldn't put it on the highway legally. So I'm on the, all these little back roads, and I wound up in Shreveport, Louisiana. And it was January 31st, 1996. I got here about three o'clock in the morning with a dollar and twenty cents in my pocket and a quarter of a tank of gas and i'm like okay i better stop here and pick up some work and get my gas tank filled up buy some food and keep driving (laughs) because i don't want to be in treeport and i went to this little place uh It was right across the street next to the Circle K called Labor Ready, uh, where they have the fencing studio thing over there now. So I signed up for a job that morning, they put me to work the next day, I worked two hours and start hearing, the roads are closing. What do you mean the roads are closing? I've got two more hours here. I can get a little money and get out of town. You can't close the roads. (laughs) Uh, They didn't listen to me. They closed the roads. And so I'm sitting there. I've got four hours of pay because that was the minimum requirement. And I had a choice of trying to get this beat-up car out of town or buy some groceries. (laughs) uh I opted for the groceries and went back to labor ready the next day and wound up getting a contract painting for a company and that worked into a regular job and I'm thinking you know this this isn't bad money I better play out the money before I leave and I got a better job offer and was making 10 bucks an hour, 96, that wasn't bad money for a single person. Uh, so I stayed around and uh, started making waves with Freeport Regional Arts Council and started getting serious about writing poetry and whatnot, but I was still really serious about getting the hell out of here. <laughs> uh, um Because by then, I'd met quite a few other transgender people, and they were eating out of trash cans, too. And and it (laughs) kind of was scary. Um, So I ended a job uh, painting for a contractor. And... I was staying at the Cresswell Hotel. I don't know if how many of you remember that place. It was a residential hotel for men. And Betty Brookins, the first female police officer in Shreveport, had bought it because she felt sorry for the old guys that lived there. And somebody who owned it before her was going to just close it and put them on the street. And she's like, I need you to come work here. So we haggled about that for a while. And I said, you know, look, the, the thing is, is I'm about to transition and I won't even fit in at this hotel for men. And she said, oh, don't worry about that. Just, you know, if you got to get dressed up, go out the stairs in the back so the guys don't <laughs> shoot you on the way out because I don't want to clean up a (laughs) mess. And so she convinced me to take the job, and I worked there until she passed away. Uh, And I miss her dearly. Then a guy took me in, and his name was Joe Graber. He used to teach theater at Centenary. He, He did set designs. Uh, for the Little Theater and for the Performing Arts Center. And uh, I'd gotten to know him, and his like, well, I can give you a little job painting on a set. And I went over, I talked to him, and it uh, so happened that, now you have to understand, when Betty Brookins died, I lost my job. Uh, and I was homeless, looking for work and looking for a place to stay. And there were these two guys working on the set. And one of them said, Hey, you know what? I've got this place and I've got a roommate and, and he won't mind if you come stay with us. And so I went and discovered that I actually knew his roommate. They knew some girls and, I happened to know them too, so it all worked out pretty good there for a little while and, uh, until it didn't work out. <laughs> um, that's a whole other story. <laughs> um, and But something else came up, and I wound up. I got a, a little apartment and moved in with the two girls, and we had huge fights. And, yeah, uh, boy, that w- Then things just kept going on and on and on and every time I've tried to leave something has come up to keep me here and then you know I was planning to leave last year and and then there was this thing that happened with the housing authority and I wasn't allowed to leave and and then this thing happened at City Council and I had to get up there and (laughs) open my mouth and now I'm getting offers and people want me to talk to them about all kinds of stuff all over the state and I guess I'm stuck (laughs) thank you
1: Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you Saturday, September 13th at 7.30 p.m. at the Marjorie Lyons Playhouse for our next live storytelling event under the influence. Just a reminder, all proceeds go to the Council on Alcoholism and Drug Abuse. You can get tickets on our website, allyallblog.com. There's a link at the top of the page that says tickets. Just click there, and you can get tickets to the next event. Thank y'all. Thanks. 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 thanks.
0: Thanks. Thanks.
1: Thank you. Bye.